This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Continue our series of studies in Paul's letter, uh, 2 Corinthians. We're looking this evening at uh, verses 2 through 16. 7, 2 through 16. Make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting within, without, and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. And Father, we ask for your help, your grace as we study it together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships with other people, whether it be the marriage relationship or relationship with 
parents, relationship with children, relationships with brothers and sisters, relationships with friends, can bring us the most satisfaction of anything this life affords. However, as we all know too well, they can also bring us the most pain. Well, too often that pain is felt among believers. Uh, Sometimes we tend to forget the identity of the real enemy. Uh, The Victorian preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in a letter to his son, also a minister, said, fight the devil, love the deacons. All too often, uh, not only ministers but others tend to get that reversed. Well, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth, as we've seen in our study of 2 Corinthians, has been strained. It's been strained by misunderstandings between him and the church, uh, misunderstandings that are aggravated by the accusations and charges and uh, innuendos spread by false teachers, false apostles who had come into the church. And as we've said, 2 Corinthians is a very relational letter. It's not a a doctrinal treatise like Romans. It's not a polemical or debative letter like uh, Galatians, but rather it's a letter in which Paul is working to repair his relationship with the church in Corinth, the church that he himself planted and therefore church that is dear to his heart. And the amazing thing is that as difficult as this relationship was for him with this church and as stressful uh, and painful as it had been, yet Paul still found joy in that relationship because he still found joy in the Corinthian believers. And as we read this passage, uh, we know the, the element of encouragement, the element of hope that is there, joy and comfort, and those words occur over and over in this passage because things have come to light that are very encouraging to Paul and, and do give him comfort and do give him joy in his relationship with this church. So Paul begins with an appeal uh, in verses 2 and following, and then he goes on to give some of the reasons for the joy uh, that he has with, in, in relationship to this church. Well, first of all, we see his appeal in verses 2 through 5. Uh, Paul actually kind of started this, if you'll turn back a page or so, back to chapter 6, verse 11. It's almost as if Paul intended to go in this direction earlier, but uh, uh, some other things came to mind by the Spirit that he wrote down. But back in chapter 6, verse 11, he says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Well, then again, in verse 2, he says, make room in your hearts for us. Paul is pleading with them uh, once again to restore him to their affections, to open their hearts to him. And this threefold denial, we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one, whether answering charges brought against him by the false apostles or maybe contrasting himself with the behaviors of these false uh, apostles, uh, he, he makes it clear. They've not wronged anyone. They've certainly not corrupted. They've not taken advantage. Uh, in other words, pointing once again to his integrity with regard to this church. In verse 3, he says, I do not say this to condemn you. I said before, you are in our hearts to die together and live together. Uh, and he almost doesn't need to say it, but it's true. Verse 4, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. 
since these are his children, his spiritual children, that God brought into being through his ministry. And he does have pride, and he's proud of them, proud of what God has done in them, how he's brought them. He says, I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And so there's this denial, but then he goes on to point out, after making this appeal to them, uh, the, the, the crisis of pain that he felt. Look at verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting, literally fightings, without, on the outside, around us, fear, or fears, literally fears, plural, within. Now, Paul speaks of coming into Macedonia. He had, he had spoken earlier in chapter 2 about when he came to Troas and did not find Titus there. Apparently, Paul had uh, sent uh, Titus on to Corinth to find out what was going on in the church there, how they had responded, what was happening, and was to meet up with Titus in Troas. And when he came to Troas, he did not find Titus there. And that was of concern to him. And he went on into Macedonia. And he describes the situation, his own situation in Macedonia. He said, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fightings without and fears within. Uh, describing both Paul's concern in ecclesiastical uh, conflict that he dealt with uh, daily, uh, either near him or far from him, but also his own inner struggles, not so much fear for his own life. I mean, Paul made it quite plain, uh, both by his sufferings and by his words, that he was not afraid to suffer and even to die for the gospel. The fears Paul felt were not for his own safety. They were rather for the churches for which he was concerned, for the believers who made up those churches fear, as we've seen, that his work might somehow be in vain, that it all come to nothing. That was what frightened Paul. That's what kept him awake at night, not his own personal safety, but rather the safety of these believers who had become believers through his ministry or through the ministry of others and whom he was teaching and encouraging. But Paul describes this, this being downcast, uh, and he's mentioned this at other times earlier uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Uh, at several times, Paul felt this kind of distress. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time uh, that a servant of the Lord was burdened, or, or we might even say depressed, uh, in trying to carry out his ministry. I mentioned Charles Spurgeon one morning in 1866. He shocked his some 5,000 listeners there in the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle of London when he announced to them, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Twenty-one years later, from the same pulpit, he said, Personally, I have often passed through this dark valley. A uh, name you may not be as familiar with, John Henry Jowett, who is pastor uh, and quite well-known pastor of uh, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, and later uh, at Westminster Chapel uh, in the days uh, actually before Campbell Morgan and before uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, wrote a letter to a friend in 1920. 
He said, you seem to imagine I have no ups and downs, but just a level and, and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means, I'm often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. Alexander White, a Scottish preacher, some have said maybe Scotland's greatest preacher after John Knox. Uh, someone wrote of him, resolute as was his character, he had seasons of deep depression regarding the results of his work in the pulpit or among his people. Martin Luther uh, sometimes suffered periods of, of dark, almost despair, sometimes so severe, severe his family uh, was concerned that he might harm himself. Well, he was in one of these stages when his wife, Katerina, came in the room dressed in mourning clothes and surprised to see her, so Luther asked who had died. And she replied that from the way he was acting, it appeared God had died. We presume Luther took the point well. So uh, Paul is certainly uh, among the earliest, but certainly not the last, to describe these kinds of wrestlings in soul, concern, uh, over the condition of the church, uh, the struggles over where believers were in the Lord, what was going on, and no doubt egged on by uh, satanic and demonic uh, attacks as well. But then Paul spends the rest of this chapter describing the things that comforted him, the things that encouraged him, the things that brought him out of that kind of state. So what I want us to do is look at those things that comforted Paul. The first thing he mentions is joy through Titus. Uh, joy that came through Titus. Look at verses 6 and 7. But God, as Paul has begun many sentences, uh, the reversal that God brings, this, this downcast condition that Paul was in, he answers it, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Paul, Paul's joy, Paul's comfort was restored through the arrival of Titus. Late, but he did arrive. Paul, in fact, did meet up with Titus. Uh, verse 6, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Just the encouragement to see a friendly face, to see... Uh, someone he had been anticipating meeting and yet was delayed was a great comfort to Paul. The, the Lord did bring Titus back to him, but it wasn't just Titus, Titus's presence. It was also the news that Titus brought. Look at verse 7. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Paul was happy to see a friendly face, but it wasn't just the friendly face, it was the good news that Titus brought. What did the Corinthians think about him? What effect had his letter had? Good news, as Titus describes it, and Paul describes Titus as news, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. Paul eagerly awaited word of what effect his letter had on the Corinthians. Uh, he must have been anxious about that. What was their response? What did they think of him? What did they think of his letter? How did they respond to the letter? Well, Titus was able to come back to Paul and tell him of their mourning, the mourning of the misunderstanding, the mourning of this breach that had occurred, mourning of their departure from Scripture and their, their failures there. Uh, your zeal for me. How encouraging that must have been to Paul to hear 
that in spite of the best efforts of these false apostles, yet they still loved Paul. They were still uh, passionate about him and about the ministry that he had had among them. Uh, and they're longing for him, uh, Paul says, so that I rejoiced still more. You know, God relieves fears often through a Christian friend, and Paul has described that in other places. Uh, those who came to him, those who ministered to him and were an encouragement to him in that way. Uh, and perhaps you have found yourself at a time of being discouraged and downcast, and God's brought someone into your life at just the right time, and not just their presence, but also just the right word that lifted you up and encouraged you. And that's from the Lord. And Paul acknowledges uh, his joy in, in God's goodness. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. It was Titus who showed up. It was Titus who had good news. But it was God who brought them together. And Paul attributes that encouragement not just to Titus, but ultimately to God. So it was joy through this, this friend, this co-worker, who had once again met up with Paul. There's also joy through the repentance of the church in Corinth. And the bulk of this uh, passage is taken up with Paul's expression of joy and his reflections on what had happened, on the repentance that the church expressed. And we see this in verses 8 through 13. Paul says in verse 8, Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. Now, this is the kind of writing that makes you realize this is a letter. And Paul is dashing his thoughts down as quickly as he can here, kind of backtracking a little, qualifying a little, um, but moving right along. This is not a, a, a revised and revised, carefully worded, precise uh, treatise. This is a personal letter. And you see that. And Paul says, well, I did. I regretted the letter. No, I didn't regret the letter. Well, he, he grieved them. But he doesn't regret it. But there was some regret when he recognized that it did cause them grief. But the grief was only for a little while. But then he goes on to explain. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. So Paul says, I sort of regretted the letter, but I didn't regret the letter because it pre I regretted it, it produced grief in you. And I, I really did not want to cause you grief. On the other hand... I didn't really regret it because that grief led to a real repentance. And in fact, it's a particular kind of grief. It is what Paul three times labels a godly grief. You grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. You weren't a loser, in other words, Paul says, by what I wrote. Yes, it grieved you. Yes, it was difficult for you. But the end result was good. Was your good? because it produced repentance in you. And then he does kind of elaborate a little on what he means. Verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. In other words, it's a kind of grief that, painful at the time, eventually leads to no regrets. A thankfulness that God brought that into your life, because the outcome has been positive, the outcome has been good, so that while it may have been painful at the time, while you may not, may not ever want to go through it again, you also thank God that you did. But by contrast, Paul says in verse 10, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, it seems that there's a, a very um, convenient biblical illustration of the kind of thing that Paul is describing here. 
the, um, the worldly grief that leads to death is, is a grief that's self-centered, a grief that is more rooted in one's own embarrassment, uh, a grief that is rooted in one's own remorse that doesn't lead to any repentance, that maybe is, leads to shame that you got caught, regret that you were caught, uh, but not so much directed outward, but directed at yourself. And the illustration of this we would look at it would be Judas Iscariot, who obviously felt grief and remorse at what he did, but it literally led to death. He went out and killed himself. Um, on the other hand, by contrast, the godly grief leads to repentance. It leads to restoration. And we would look at Peter, who uh, denied Jesus and yet was restored by Jesus to usefulness in the kingdom in spite of having crassly denied knowing Jesus. And that's a, a useful contrast. Godly grief is God-directed. It is grief at having offended God. It's a grief at having sinned against him and violated his command, and perhaps a grief at having hurt other people in the process. Worldly grief is self-centered grief at what pain I might experience or what consequences I might go through because of what I did. But godly grief leads to repentance. It leads to salvation without regret. And that's the kind of thing, as Paul clarifies, that he's talking about here in the case of the Corinthians. Now, Paul wrote some painful things to them uh, without taking a whole lot of time to go back through 1 Corinthians, just a, a sample or two. You go back to 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 10. Uh, where Paul is chastising them for their divisiveness. Uh, verse 12, he says, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. Oh, wait a minute, I remember. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. That's a little bit painful. When Paul says, look, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize any more of you than I did, so you can't claim me as the name, the banner under which you live and boast. That's a bit pointed. Well, Paul goes on in, uh, in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Uh, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready. Ouch. Uh, we think of chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, so you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? But then perhaps some of the most painful uh, writing that Paul does in 1 Corinthians, and, and that to which 2 Corinthians, where we're studying, is addressed, and that's 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. 
Uh, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Um, and so on. Purge the evil person from among you. Uh, and then chapter 6, of course, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Paul said some pretty stout things to the church in Corinth. Some things that must have stung, some things that must have hurt, some things that must have uh, maybe made them a little bit defensive. And yet Paul here can say uh, that while he did regret it a little bit because of the grief, nevertheless the grief led to repentance. It was a godly grief, not a worldly grief. And the Lord used that uh, to bring them to repentance. And he also mentions the fruit of it. Look at verses 10 through 13. Um, rather, verse 11. Uh, real repentance always bears fruit, change in one's life. Paul says, see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Uh, earnestness for what? Well, earnestness in their, their relationship with Paul. Earnestness to, uh, to, to obey what he says, to follow his admonitions. Uh, see what earnestness this godly grief, is that phrase again, is produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves of this, this neglect, this wrongdoing, uh, and their relationship with Paul. What indignation, uh, not so much toward Paul, but toward themselves and toward the sin in their midst. What fear, fear of God, fear of the consequences of their sin. What longing. Longing for righteousness, longing for Paul, as he's already used that word of himself, of their, their thoughts toward him. What zeal, uh, not lackadaisical, but, but a passion in addressing the things in their midst that Paul uh, has mentioned. What punishment toward the offender in their midst. They stop boasting, perhaps about being so tolerant and open-minded, uh, and actually addressed the, the person in question. Paul says, at every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Ultimately, it wasn't about the person involved or persons involved, but it was about the church and that the church might prove themselves where Paul is concerned. And he says in verse 13, the first part there, therefore, we are comforted. Difficult things to write. And no doubt, perhaps afterward, Paul thought, well, you know, that I've written those kinds of things. Well, it was a bit harsh. But Paul is now relieved and comforted and finds joy in the fact that God used his words to bring about real repentance and real change in the church in Corinth. So joy through Titus and the news he brought, joy through the work of God and the Corinthian church in, in, in response to the words Paul wrote, but also joy in Titus's joy. Not just Titus himself, not just the news that he brought, but the fact that Titus himself was filled with joy because of the Corinthian church. Uh, look at verse 13, uh, the second part there, and down through 16. Paul can say, besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. You follow what Paul says here, um, 
It's one thing to experience your own joy. It's another thing to have your own joy multiplied by the joy of another. It's always fun to celebrate with other people. Being happy yourself, by yourself, is a lot of fun. But Paul's joy in and of itself was great, but it was magnified and multiplied by the fact that Titus himself was filled with joy and encouragement in his relationship with and out of his ministry to, his mission to, the church in Corinth. And it's kind of funny what Paul says here, uh, verse 14, uh, whatever boasts I, I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus is proved true. You see what Paul's saying? Paul's basically saying, I told Titus all about the church, all about you guys, and how great you are, and I'm glad to see he saw it was true. It was so. You didn't disappoint. But he also says, you know, I was, I taught Titus up to you. I'm glad to see that you are excited about Titus. Uh, and what I said to you, uh, in Titus did not disappoint. Sometimes as a pastor, I'm asked to write letters of recommendation or so forth or, or fill out a form. Those are the worst. Those are hard because you have to rate, you know, what do you say about this person, about their spiritual life, about their activity in church and so on and so forth. And it's always very hard. Um, because I want to be accurate. But then as I do it, I sometimes have the thought, and if any of you have had me do this, I apologize. I hope they live up to this. I hope, I hope they measure it. What, what, if, what if I give them a glowing report and they let me down? Well, it's, I don't think it's ever happened, but um, because as I said, I try to be accurate. But I can feel a little bit of what Paul is saying here. He basically boasted of the church to Titus and Titus to the church, and on both counts, he came out very pleased that neither was disappointed with the other. Each was as billed. He'd spoken highly of the church, and Titus was pleased with the church. Spoken highly of Titus to the church, and the church agreed with Paul's assessment of Titus. And so he goes on in verse 15 to say, And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. Uh, Perhaps as Paul's emissary to the church. And Paul says, I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. Well, Paul's comfort, Paul's joy was the doing of God. And uh, God very graciously worked these things out, as Paul himself says. And Titus is coming with not just his presence, but good news, uh, clear evidence of God's working in the believers there in Corinth. And uh, Paul's joy multiplied by Titus's joy. But it's curious as you read this that whereas Paul was downcast, he was brought out of that through people, as God was working through people, which raises the question uh, for us if we find ourselves in those kinds of circumstances. You know, praying that God would bring just the right person or people into our lives, uh, just the right circumstances through them to bring encouragement or comfort, and God uses people to do that. But to flip that around, would also place that upon you and just ask you to consider if there are not those uh, who could use your encouragement, that maybe God might be pleased to use you to be that Titus, uh, to come to another person and uh, who is perhaps downcast or discouraged or struggling, and to be that same kind of comfort and joy to them that Titus was to Paul. God worked through people. God used people here uh, in various ways, but particularly, as Paul relates it, to bring him out of this state of distress into one of comfort 
and joy. God uses people like that in our lives and has, and we give thanks to him for it. But maybe God wants to use you like that in someone else's life. Keep your eyes open and pray that God would give you that opportunity to be the Titus who brings encouragement, who brings comfort, brings joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we think so highly of Paul that we sometimes tend to forget that he was flesh and blood, that he too could be subject to weariness, weariness of body, even weariness of soul. And Father, we thank you for his openness in describing both his state of discouragement, but also your grace in uh, people and good news that lifted him up. And Father, while working for Paul's encouragement, also working for the good of the church in Corinth and working for the joy and encouragement of Titus as well, you are a good and faithful God. Lord, I pray right now for anyone who may be uh, in a state of despondency or discouragement or downcast, that you would bring just the right person or people into their life to lift them up and encourage them, support them. But Father, I also pray that you would give us eyes uh, to see those around us, someone in particular who may be in need of encouragement, who may need a word of comfort, of support, or even just the presence of another person. Father, help us to be able to minister to one another in that way and uh, so be an encouragement to them and, and to bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name.